Hi, this is Danielle Krissa from The Jealous Curator, and this is episode 220 of Art for Your Ear. Today's episode is once again supported by the lovely people at Create Magazine. And, you guessed it, their latest call for art is out. This call is for their summer 2022 print issue. They have yet another fabulous guest curator for this issue, Alayo Akinkobe. And I really hope I pronounced that right, Alayo. I'm sorry if I didn't. <laughs> she graduated from the University of Cambridge with a BA in History of Art in 2021. And she's the founder of the Instagram platform, A Black History of Art. Such a fantastic feed. Now, Create Magazine has over 200,000 readers and followers around the world, including leading galleries, art fairs, collectors, curators, writers, art consultants, and more. So put your work out there and connect with a new audience to elevate your incredible art. You can submit by visiting createmagazine.com slash call dash for dash art. createmagazine.com slash call dash for dash art. And you'll see the summer 2022 issue. Okay, now I know today's episode has been a long time coming. I have a very long list of excuses for why there's been a bit of a podcast hiatus, but I will spare you the details and we'll just get on with it, yes? Yes. Today's guest is someone I've admired for years. The first time I saw her work in person, I was literally running through the San Francisco airport trying to make a tight connection, but I was stopped in my tracks and had to take a bunch of pictures of Leah Rosenberg's Everywhere a Color installation. And, great news, I still made my flight. Win-win. Anyway, Leah is here today, and I am so excited for you to hear our conversation. It is another long episode for you to make up for the long gap between episodes. Okay, ready? Talking to Leah Rosenberg in San Francisco. Hi, Leah. Welcome to Art for Your Ear. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to... I know. Well, it took us a few runs. Yeah, it took us a few runs. You are so, from what I can tell from Instagram, you're just busy all of the time. Is that true? Um, it, it uh, yeah, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some of that is like, you know, the illusion of Instagram where, um, you know, m- maybe you see something that it was actually th- my my part of the work was done before, right? And right. It finally, sort of sees the light of day, right? Um, and then lately, I think, you know, during the pandemic, whatever I was m- making, uh, it was hard to know, um or even articulate what it was. And so I think there was just a lot going on and a little bit, um, a, a lot going on and yet nothing going on, right? Like yes, we all totally. had a lot more time, yeah. um, I think. And things getting postponed and pushed. And so you exactly. might be working towards something that then didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. and also just like leaving some space for other things to take precedent um, on that platform. But um, I found I was doing a lot of like sorting and looking back on things. And so Mm. I started to kind of 
realized that there were a lot of things that I hadn't shared that were from, um, that I was, was too busy to even yeah. <laughs> So just kind of like reflecting and, um, and sort of posting projects that, that um, I hadn't shared properly. Well, there are so many, like I, I was writing my list of things to ask you. And as I was doing it, I was like, what? I find out more stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh, well, I have to ask about that. And then I find out something else. And I was like, clearly I have to ask about that. So before I get too carried away, um, what I always do is I start at the beginning and I find out where you grew up and if you were an artsy kid. So where did you grow up and were you an artsy kid? This is a question I love answering um, because I was born in Ann Arbor, Michigan, but I only lived there for nine days. Um, <laughs> wasn't my choice. To you were like, you know what? I'm out of here. This is not working for me. <laughs> but um, that Ann Arbor, Michigan is such a huge part of my like identity because it's on my CV or like it often makes it onto sort of the, the, the information about the artist and, right. um, and yet I, I, I know very little about it. Um, and then I don't get to sort of um, share uh, the fact that I grew up for most of my life in Saskatoon or my childhood in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. I did not know that. Yes. Um, Land of the Living Skies is what, what? the license plate reads. Oh, wow. So, um, yes, I was... Uh, my brother and I were raised there. My parents are still there. And um, are, were they and, Canadian living in the States or did they? Yeah. Were, oh. My dad was doing a residency in Michigan. I'm not exactly sure. You know, I asked them, did you plan this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, because my brother ended up in LA, but he uh, did not have dual citizenship. So he, oh. um, he, Right, he was born in Canada, and you were born in the yes. States. Oh well, aren't you lucky with your? I am very lucky, and so, yeah. um, you know, just to have that, um, yeah, it's it's like a, a the option. The yes, option. I was just gonna say it's a really nice option to have if you want, you know, to, to decide where you want to work or study or whatever. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine was born in Seattle by accident. Because he was born prematurely, his parents were from here, from British Columbia, and they were on vacation in Seattle and went into labor. And so he has dual citizenship because he was accidentally born in Seattle. I mean, those, that's what they call happy accidents. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I think there was a point when I was growing up where you were supposed to have to choose what you wanted to, oh, okay. which citizenship you wanted to have, and then before... The cutoff it changed so okay. I mean that's that's a huge reason why I even sort of applied to schools out in uh, the states was just to kind of get a different sense of uh, you know who else is working yeah yeah and all of that stuff so so what was it like in Saskatoon were you an artsy kid like were you running around in fields and making stuff or Yes. I mean, I think um, my brother and I talk about this quite a lot because he ended up in L.A., um, how that sort of, you know, the prairie landscape and that significant horizon line 
impacted us a lot in terms of, you know, like it's a, it's like barrenness of the yeah. winter landscape. You have to like be creative to fill your time, but also to like, it is a blank canvas to sort of imagine things. Mm -hmm. And I think that is something that we both get from the ocean, uh, being by the ocean. And um, yeah, so I think the, the landscape, the sort of environment um, of, of having to occupy yourself from a young age in the <laughs> yeah. winters and, um, and yeah, I, I, I think, I mean, I, f I felt like I was a kid, but I realized in retrospect that like, yes, I definitely um, veered towards um, being super happy making things. And mm. I do remember having a lot of collections, rock collections, seashell collections. You know, I would, I, I really um, loved being outside, mm -hmm. collecting things, moving. Um, and I would wrap up things I found or rocks from my collection or pine cones in like, you know, beautiful little pieces of paper or drawings or fabric and ribbons and leave them on neighbor's doorsteps as like oh little surprises. <laughs> <laughs> I think that all started um, out of my concern for one of my older neighbors who was a huge smoker. <laughs> you know, we were told that was bad. And right. I thought, how will I get through to him? <laughs> I don't know. So it all started with that and he- What did he think of the surprises? Did he like them or he was like, oh, what the hell is this thing on my doorstep? Um, I think his, his wife appreciated them a bit more. He was a bit of a, a what would you, I, I want to find a nice word for like, um, mean, <laughs> you know, the old grouch, a, a little bit of a grouch, but I yep. think part of that was like sarcasm, you know, right. He would yell at the kids to say, you know, he'd mow his lawn. It was very meticulous. And he would warn the kids like, don't you dare, <laughs> you know, don't you dare step on the lawn. <laughs> So yeah. there was a man that lived, I lived in Nova Scotia when I was little until I was seven. And there was a man that lived by himself, Mr. Ward in this big house on top of this field. So we called it Ward's field and we toboggan there and stuff. And he was by himself and I was about four or five. And I just remember thinking how sad it was that he mm -hmm. lived there by himself, but he was a total grouch. Right. And didn't really didn't like kids. Well, I found a fork, a plastic fork on my way home from kindergarten. And I was like, I'm going to give this to Mr. Ward. Cause he probably doesn't have anything. I just assumed his house was empty. <laughs> so, yeah. It was an orange plastic fork. So I went home and I did a drawing of him eating dinner and I taped the fork to it <laughs> and I brought him the fork and he was like, what? You think I don't have forks? And he <laughs> Oh, but I just remember thinking, well, you know, if I were you, I'd take this fork because it's a pretty good one. I like, I wasn't upset by it, but it's just, it's so funny that you were dropping off things too. Oh, yeah. My. Yeah. And you know, I think it's like, a. I mean, I still feel like I, I do that in a, in a way or 
enjoy sort of making something with what you have that is surprising and weird. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's true. I mean, that should have been both of our first inklings that this was like our destiny. (laughs) Um, And so you see your dad was doing a residency. Was your dad an artist too? Or what Uh, kind of residency? Uh, He is uh, or was training to be a pediatrician. So Ah. he worked with kids. Um, He's a specialized, uh, specializes in uh, children with rheumatoid arthritis. So he was doing a special, I think his residency there. Um, But he also, you know, like he's a really good writer. He, he has a creative sort of spirit. Um, um, And he would bring these uh, bags, these little brown bags of, you know, maybe it was a little toy and like a puzzle or something. And he would, he would joke with the kids. I don't know if I'm supposed to share this or not, but I'm just going to tell you. Um, <laughs> he would say, well, thanks for coming. Here's your tuna fish sandwich. And, you know, they'd be like, I don't want a tuna fish. You know, so he, like a little bit of humor. He's always really good with kids. And um, yeah. Awesome. yeah. And so what did your parents think? Like, did they, did they think you were going to be an artist? Were they worried about you being an artist? So they want you to go to med school. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, now they're yeah. like, we we knew you were gonna do it, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, like, but it's not. It's you know, part of me is like, am I even? It like, oh I yeah, it's scary. It. It's scary, and especially for parents. You know, yeah. it's like, uh, you want to know that your kids are going to eat and have shelter. And so it feels like it might be a scary endeavor. It's not, I mean, of course they, you know, they want happiness, but I think happiness for different people means different things. Um, I'm still figuring that out. Yeah. And, you know, it's not, it's not easy. Um, it's not easy. A lot of the work, as you probably know, um, that goes into making something that you're happy with means there's like a pie chart of, it's not just, you know, in my mind as a kid and even as like a young student, I wanted to be an artist, not because I liked making things particularly, like that wasn't the drive, but when I went into someone else's studio, it was like, entering their world and mind mm. and that like everything in there was um almost like in progress like you got to see mm. what how things were being made and like the connection between maybe something that's pinned to their wall to something that they're making and um that excited me so much and i knew i wanted you know, I think every day is different, no matter what you do. Yeah. But particularly, um, an artist in this studio, you're you're changing, you're making these these changes, and um, it's true. And they can be monumental, and they can be incremental too. Like just mm-hmm. things you don't even realize, or you make these leaps and bounds. Yeah, and yeah. you're in charge, kind of. Yeah, like, yeah. You're in charge of making those 
um, making those things. And then so, well, you went well. You went to um, speaking of places where so much is going on and there's so much to see and look at. You went to Emily Carr. Yes, in Vancouver. Yes, uh, amazing. And you got to go when it was still on Granville Island. Yes, you know that um, they've moved now and they're. It's a beautiful building, but it's just like there's something so special about Granville Island. It was amazing. I used to um, go to the market, the yes, there, yeah. and just I knew where the free samples were. It was a very <laughs> good place to be a student, for That's sure. A good point. That is a very good point. <laughs> My parents lived in the condos just as you're driving onto the island, and there's condos on the right. Mm -hmm. They lived right there when my son was a baby. So um, I would go every Thursday to their place. I timed myself one time. It took 48 seconds to get onto the island from their place. You could go out their back gate wow. and be on the island. So um, I would take Charlie to the market in his stroller every Thursday. We'd go look at the giant crabs and the fish and all the flowers and the stacked up cherries. And it's just such a visual explosion and all the smells and everything. Charlie, he's 16, almost 16 now. And we were just somewhere and he said, he's like, smell that. And it was flowers or something. He goes, doesn't that smell exactly like Granville Island? And it totally did. And it's just so funny that it's, baked into him you know that that experience but I love I, I didn't go to Emily Carr I applied and ended up going out east instead but um I just love it in there like it just it's just like a little beehive of activity and people making all different things and and you're on such a cool spot right on the ocean with the market there and you know the smell of the ocean and it's just amazing so you went from Saskatoon to Emily Carr yeah. And what did you think of it when you, had you been there already? To, um, to be honest, I had applied, didn't get in. Oh. And a friend of mine, Jude Griebel, who's still a working artist, I think he's still in New York, and uh, my good friend, his partner at the time, um, he had already spent a year going, and he was back for the summer, and... You know, I was just like, I want to do what Jude is doing, you know, <laughs> like I, he would tell me stories and he was always drawing and I was just, so he said, you should come anyway, like you should come anyway and just take continuing ed classes. And I did that for this, I think it was the summer, reapplied, got in spent but I had to wow. locate myself there and yeah. um I think yeah I think part of it was actually like leaving home and um that's a big change too like not you know like to yeah. show up and be like downtown Vancouver and like that's really different I it's really different especially when you're like, I'm just going to try to try to yeah. get in. Just show up. You know? There's not <laughs> Which really is so awesome. Go Jude. I'm so glad that, and, I'm, and go you that you were like, all right, yeah. let's go see. And so were your, were, your, were your parents freaking out about that? I think it was like a, a both of us were ready, you know, right. for, I, I was, Saskatoon is a, it's beautiful it's artistic in terms of like a city. The music scene that came through there was really inspiring to me um, since 
there's not a lot of places to stop in the middle of Canada. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, That's why Winnipeg and, has a good art scene too, because yeah. there's nothing in any direction. So it has to land somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't have a plan, you know, yeah. and I think that was concerning, but it was also at some point, I think, I don't know, I don't have kids, but like as parents, you have to just trust let them go let them go or make like (laughs) or make them get out (laughs) you know I think it was it was time to try something new and um you know I started I I already was working um a lot of jobs in Saskatoon and so I just kind of looked for work right away and managed and and what were you focusing on like once you got into Emily Carr was it painting what were you doing oh my gosh everything yeah because they had it all yeah um that's what I say like that's why I was like I wish I'd gone there There there's so much stuff yeah as much as I say like was inspired to be an artist because of entering into people's worlds and studios I think when I got to Emily Carr I was like the truth is I really wanted to be that character on Flashdance I love <laughs> dancing movies. Like I think I watch Flash Dance. I don't know so many times when you had to like go to the the video store and t- take out the video. Yeah. Um. I think probably at one point he was like, "You should just have it." You know. Yeah. <laughs> you bought uh, twelve times over. Yeah. yeah. I wanted it all. I wanted to like bike to work. I wanted to dance. I wanted to weld. Uh, well, exactly. Well, so that was the first thing I started with was no. welding. <laughs> God, <I love. laughs> so yeah, uh, that's that's the truth. Um, <laughs> welding didn't really take. I so I did printmaking, I did photography, bookmaking. I had a great uh, book, uh, like a bookworks instructor. Did. Um, Yes, painting. I also took a couple of classes. I mean, I think this was probably necessary, like necessary towards the end, but uh, with Patrick Anderson, who was a little bit more, he introduced me to like the situationists that make a big sort of, I look to a lot in terms of like the urban walk and Mm. sort of finding, you know, you're making your path or like a drawing um in the moment Mm. making those decisions not not retracing steps not making a plan um so I was really inspired by them and it's like psychic geography I guess it was called and um and then Randy Lee Cutler was uh she taught uh feminist theory it was called at the time and um I remember she uh, she said at the end of class, I managed to get this, um, uh, oh my gosh, not Cindy Sherman, Carolee Schneeman, Carolee Schneeman film, like actual film that mm. was, she had painted on and she was going to show it at noon. And so, I mean, I had no idea what, like, what it, what it would be or really like I knew a little bit of Carolee Schneeman's work but it was so beautiful and just this idea of like a, a moving painting kind yeah, of thing and yeah. how it becomes so abstracted um those are like 
you know, a, a few things that stick out to me and then just the people. I mean, I'm still um, in touch with uh, Carrie Reed, who um, her and her husband, Tyler Brett, have a residency in Suintula. Mm. And so we've done a couple of, you know, we actually started doing residencies in June during the pandemic um, because they couldn't, we couldn't travel. Oh, wow. and so they have this little window gallery. Um, oh, cool. So, yeah, some of these. And then Mima Preston is a weaver in Vancouver who I met at school and we've been collaborating by mail where she sends me something, I send her something. She incorporates sort of like, I send her a drop cloth She's oh, cool. weaving that into things. That, and yeah. Well, and so what's her, what's her name again? Mima Preston. Okay. I'm going to look her up. That's yeah. so cool. So do you find that a lot of the people from there, did they go to the States? Like did people go to California and New York or are a lot of people still in Canada or is it a mix? Yeah, a lot of people yeah. are still in Canada. Okay. Um, I mean, at least that I'm still in touch with. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Um, Was Elspeth Pratt teaching there when you were there? She's yeah. a sculptor. I don't know what she yes, taught. I didn't work with her. Okay. But she um, was my, uh, my favorite prof when I was at UVic. Okay. And then she went to, I think she was at SFU for a bit and then Emily Carr. And yeah. um, I just loved her. Yeah, I was there 1998 to 2003. Okay. So yeah, I was at UVic from 91 to 95. Okay. And then I came out to Toronto to do more school to do design and stuff. And, yeah. um, but I'd applied to go to Emily Carr to do design mm -hmm. as a postgrad, but I was going to do print there. And then this was in 96. So the internet was being born mm -hmm. and I got into Sheridan college to do new media design. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I, I thought, well, maybe the future will be, you know, all technology. So I did that. And I mean, I'm so glad that I did and it led to everything I've done. But at the same time, I was always like, oh, Emily Carr. I wish I had done something there. But, uh, you know, maybe one day, maybe, who knows? Who knows what's still out there? Seriously. Yeah. So I'm, what, so when you graduated, I know that you went on to, to go to um, the California College of Art. Did you go right away or did, was there a gap in between? No, I, um, I lived, I lived in houses like with, you know, I lived with people until, um, I lived in, in Kitsilano in this house for quite a while. And then the landlord sold the house. And so I knew I it was, I had some like nice jobs. I was working at Chroma Acrylic. Oh. Yes. yes. That's on the island, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, my favorite part of, of that job was doing the color charts. I was going to say, oh my <laughs> gosh, is that okay. Now I'm jumping ahead. I didn't know how, when and how to ask this. Your love of color and the way that you work. Did that come during your school years? Did that come at Chroma? Did it come afterwards, like during um, in California? Like when did when did color and breaking down colors and all that stuff become part of your practice? I mean, I always loved color. I loved like this idea of like anonymous intervention and how color can be sort of the 
medium for that, like mm. where you don't, it's, it's not harming anyone, right? But it, it, it might be out of the ordinary to see it right. somewhere. Yeah. It's kind of put upon you somewhere. Yes, yeah. I definitely went through a multimedia phase that's a little bit embarrassing um, <laughs> that involved like glitter and pom-poms and like anything. <laughs> um, I don't, I'm still trying to figure out like what that was. <laughs> it was your inner child coming out. <laughs> well, there is something very exciting about like, I really love going to um, dollar stores or mm -hmm. um, art stores, anything where things are organized by color, mm -hmm. like pom-poms, like glitter, mm -hmm. whatever. And it's just, it's, it's, it's such a visual treat, right? Mm -hmm. when, it, when stores are organized like that. So maybe that was it. Maybe it was that. Yeah. And I think it was partly just always slightly dissatisfied with making a painting mm -hmm. and hanging it on the wall and then that's it yeah like i i i worked in series a lot like wanted you know small things to be part of a large thing i loved like any opportunity to kind of like um make an installation sort yeah, of it's back I to your collecting of your rocks and your pine cones yeah and yeah. And um, I think in and anything that had like a repetition so that I could sort of do it for a long period of time mm -hmm. was sort of a um, means of staying focused. And, um, and then also just this way of painting that um, wasn't flat, you know, like in some of these instances where you might add mica or glitter or mm -hmm. a matte medium or a gloss medium and like trying to tell a story in the layers. Um, oh, like I was looking at Larry Pittman a lot, Larry mm -hmm. Pittman painter, and I, I loved the sort of narrative that flew th through or that was going through his work and how the different sort of opacities and sheens of his layers. I, I loved looking at them because I liked trying to figure out which layer went first. Right. <laughs> and so I think I was sort of trying to do that in, in, in a way. Um, but were you getting frustrated? Like it just wasn't enough to do what you wanted it to do? Um, I think it started to feel um, too cute and too mm -hmm. um, wasteful, like in terms of, um, yeah, um, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm still, I'm, I'm still not sure because <laughs> I, I haven't given it a lot of thought that, that time that the what I was making then because I think I haven't really figured wanted out to. <laughs> that's all part of the process it's all part of yeah. the process <laughs> um but did did working at chroma did that trigger something in your brain or were you already like because their colors are insane they have such a I mean walking into that shop 
is just like, oh my God. Yeah. Well, I was working in restaurants um, and I was working at the flower factory. I don't know what that is. I don't know if they're still around, but it was on Main Street. Okay. And um, I really, I like didn't, I, I sort of like, cleaned up and organized the flowers oh, okay. um, less. So uh, the, the arranging was sort of done to the pros, but I loved being around all of that. Like anything that had sort of a tactility and beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it all to some degree like affected or um, the art, but it was so much a time of like, I better get a gallery, I need to sell, you know, I need to make this my career. And then realizing like, um, that also didn't feel right. Yeah. <laughs> like I was using puff paint and old photos and trying to like redo them in, in these paintings. And um, it just felt like too nostalgic or something. Mm, I yeah, I know. I, I know. You know, it's so funny because um, as you, you know, you keep on working, and the, the, the key is to keep on working, right? Like to keep on pushing through. And if you don't want to use puff paint, you don't quit being an artist, you just quit using puff paint, right? But in the moment, it's so hard to see what the next thing Mm-hmm. is and it's so funny how it all like in hindsight you can see it's like oh you're collecting pine cones and rocks as a kid of course you'd want to be looking at like repetition and and things like that because it's just sort of in you but when you're in that moment it's so hard when the, when those things are just instinctual mm-hmm. it's so hard to go wait that's the thing I love you know, and I very often now, like when I do workshops and stuff, I say to people, like, actually sit down and just think, just write down all the stuff that you love just doing outside of your art practice, because then you can usually bring it into your art practice mm-hmm. and be happy because, you know, you're like honing in on the things that you really just instinctively care about without trying too hard to go get the gallery and to make the sales and to blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I think in Vancouver, there's so much creativity, like, there was, um, you know, even in, in the clothing, mm-hmm. there are like independent designers that, you know, at that time was really like af- affordable and, and yeah, I remember that. And then just uh, friends of mine had the alibi room oh, and yeah. they would have shows. And um, yeah, I think it was just sort of trying to, fit your work into the context that maybe wasn't the gallery and finding that a little bit more satisfying. Yeah. Um, and then just not feeling like a painter painter. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, and sometimes when you come out of school, like my, my at UVic at the time, it was very like all about abstract painting. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to do abstract painting. Mm-hmm. I was a painting major, but you came out of there and it was like, Uh oh, like this is, I couldn't find my place. And um, unfortunately I quit that, you know, I I shouldn't like, I quit for 15 years. And um, because I couldn't find my place and I didn't think I was allowed to have a place. 
um, I had a terrible teacher right at the end of my undergrad with six weeks left to go. He was the head of the painting department. He said, um, quote, you should never paint again. And I could not get that out of my head, you know? And so I just doubted everything and I was a painting major. But it's so funny when I do look back again in hindsight, there was barely any paint on my quote unquote paintings. I was sewing, I was gluing paper on and cutting stuff out and sewing it back on and uh, painting over top of paper that I put on the canvas. And we, you know, in hindsight, I was like, well, hold on, why don't I just do collage? <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and so that's where I, that's how my, that was my access point to get back in years later. But it's a, it's a tricky thing coming out of school and not fitting a, a particular mold. You know, and it's like, what do you do now? Yeah, I um, I started teaching this sem this spring semester for the first time, um, and I have to hand it to to anyone who was teaching classes during the pandemic. I mean, the first two weeks. Um, I mean, anyway, and then and then the pandemic. Yeah. I just feel like they should all get trophies. Are you teaching right now, you mean? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I only had the first two weeks were online and that was it. Oh, okay. And now we're all in person. Yeah, where are you doing that? At CSU East Bay, it's California State University. Oh, cool. Um, and what are you teaching? Painting one and um, color and concept. Well, that's so perfect. oil painting. <laughs> yeah. So I'm learning along with them because I have <laughs> oil paint you know I remember yeah. learning oil paint um in undergrad yeah and thinking the same thing like I just wanted I wanted to be able to make the thing look like the sort of thing the teacher the professor was showing me right, right. and I I just I couldn't and so something I think um I really, you know, I can't teach them the techniques. I don't want to say, I don't want them to, to get out of this, like, oh, this painting was um, for this professor. This painting was for this, you know, right. I want them, I just want to give them some tricks or some not even tricks, but like enthusiasm for looking at art. Yeah. So that um, especially after these years on the screen, I think um, you can get so much out of actually being in front of a, of a painting, mm -hmm. um, like what's happening in the world even. And at that time, um, but yeah, so it's been an interesting, like speaking of I can't or someone telling you, you can't, um, I said for a long time, like, I, I'm not a teacher. I'm not a natural teacher. I can't be in front of a class. I can't do demos. I don't know how to do, I mean, everything was telling me no. And, hmm. um, and then you kind of just have to figure out what you want to teach them, yeah. you know? Uh, and, you know, of course they're there to get some, some skills for sure. Uh, and I hope I can bring in um, guest speaker. 
shows I'm not. But you know, I think you have to be. You have to also treat it like an artwork, almost. Like, like, what do we all want to get out of this? And yeah. how do you want your work to be to be seen in the world? And how do you finding your voice is so tricky, right? And it that it does take time. But I love it when teachers like that's what I loved so much about Elspeth Pratt. I I had her for drawing. And she let me paint on old objects that I found at thrift shops in a drawing class because it was just what I wanted to do. And she was like, I love it. Keep going, you know? And she just sort of let me find my own voice. And she's like, technically you're drawing because you have to paint those things onto the thing. She's like, so it's kind of drawing, go for it. And uh, there was a girl in our class who built a coffee table out of um, sea glass that she'd found. And that was in our drawing class. And so the way she got around it was Elspeth said, just draw a plan, do a drawing of the plan and then build the sculpture. And so she kind of let us just find our own way, which I really appreciate so much. And I've taught a little bit, but holy cow, it's a lot of work. Um, I mean, in terms of drawing, like a walk can be a drawing. Yeah. You know, oh, so which makes me think of the Susan O'Malley walk, but we have to yeah. really talk about that in a minute. Okay. <laughs> well, I want to talk all about Susan. Um, okay, so you go to California. How long was that gap in between Emily Carr and... and uh... I, I moved to San Francisco. I graduated from Emily Carr in 2003, and then I graduated or I moved in 2006 to San Francisco. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and so what did you focus on there? Was it the same thing? Were you just like, was it self-directed or were you just trying everything or did you know what you were doing, like what you wanted to do when you got there? I knew I wanted to find, like, I didn't feel like the work I was making in Vancouver towards the end was me. Yeah, you know, it sort of yeah. felt like I was making work that just either someone wanted, like filling coffee orders, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I, uh, yeah, I wasn't like happy with what it, it looked like. <laughs> what I just, I just needed, I needed to find like something that felt like I, I was understand like I knew what it was about you know yeah yeah and that it was coming I think from me rather than um you know an external doing it for like an external yeah like what other people wanted from you kind of or what yeah, the, I mean, what the still, scene was saying it wanted or whatever yeah not to say that ever goes away but no um <laughs> but that's I, kind of the nice thing about doing a, a master's is that you you have that two years to kind of really just do your thing yeah, I mean, I tell the students that too. It's like, you're never, you you don't get this after school. Yeah. You know, you don't get an undivided attention or like feedback from all of your peers at any moment. Yeah. Um, it's just like an amazing moment. Yeah. Like experiment and fail and, um, were you doing installation type stuff when you were there? Like, were you playing well, with that? One of the reasons I wanted to go, I mean, I wanted to either be in New York or um, California because I'd spent, I did an exchange 
semester when I was at Emily Carr at the New York Studio Program. Oh, okay, yeah. So I knew I I wanted to either be there because I was familiar with the, everything, <laughs> or California, just because of some of the schools and and California College of Art. It was California College of Art and Craft at the time, mm-hmm. and Ted Purvis um, had just started the social practice program Mm. and I was really interested in in that in this like idea of public engagement um and a more sort social practice was was more um uh you would sort of take the work out and it involved sort of the general the general public right them in some way now something I, I was interested in that but I didn't I still wanted to make objects and still wanted to work in the studio and so I didn't want to give that up but I I was really interested in in some of those ideas and elements and so I was really excited to get to work with him um, and you know he and his wife Suzanne started a a project, I'm going to get the name wrong because there's a few of them, like where they would collect produce from trees from people's backyards or whatever that were just getting sort of not being used mm-hmm. and preserve them and give them away. And then there was another artist, um, Michael, uh, Ra. Too many names and not enough space in my brain. Um, I'll think of it. Um, Who did like a mending project and he would take this, he made the cart and took it to the Tenderloin, which is like, you know, one of the, it's a little bit like Hastings in Vancouver, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, And he, for free, would mend people's clothes, whoever brought them, whoever brought him stuff. So is that sort of... um, that sort of work, right, so right. Um, you know, using a, an art art to either help. The one thing that I I ha- I took issue with with social practice was just that it felt as though if the public or the audience didn't participate in the way that they were intended to yeah there there was it didn't work or like just even putting the expectation on an audience to participate in a particular way was not um was not generous to me right 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 uh so that was yeah but it is interesting though that you that you there was something about it that you liked because now your work is so much there is so much of that like engagement I think, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yes, do you? I think it all. Do I? Yes, I do, yeah. and I think that's partially um, the food component that started too of just thinking about uh, how to make something for someone, but coming from you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, in grad school, that first year was spent like on six paintings, pretty much. I was just like layering and sanding down and layering and sanding down, kind of like trying to 
let the painting surprise me, like how, or it would tell me when it was finished. Yeah. And one of my classmates, you know, I literally would like drag these paintings outside to sand them. Yeah. And drag them back in to work on them. And one of my classmates said, you're never going to finish anything the whole time you're here if you keep <laughs> making paintings that way. And I, I, you know, at first I was slightly, maybe, I don't know. Uh, yeah, not, <laughs> not annoyed, but I was like, really? Uh, and then, you know, she had a point. And I think some of these materials, these extra materials, like I was kind of using spackle knives and, and piping paint and um, I thought maybe I need to get out of the studio, like maybe mm. labor for the sake of labor is no virtue, one of my professors said. <laughs> so I started taking cake decorating classes and I wow. thought maybe getting out of the studio and into like another creative zone and I could use some of those techniques that I learned with cake decorating and apply them to the paintings. And all, all I, I mean, did I make good tasting cake or beautiful <laughs> cake that was like upright? No, but it was like another canvas and, you know, the cakes were kind of dry. Um, and I'd end up with these entire cakes that I didn't know what to do with. And so I'd bring them to the painting critiques and everyone was, well, a student and hungry. Yeah. And, and then there is this other like people know how know how to connect to food. Yeah. Right. Like we all have had an experience with cake or with a meal that evokes memory. And I just thought, well, I they, everyone was delighted, you know, by the cake. And and really, I just brought the cake as a sort of surprise and really I wanted to talk about the paintings on the wall but I thought it started sort of sparked this curiosity in like how can I how can I do what cake does with painting like is that possible and so that became my thesis like like the artistic possibilities of cake and and you know uh, the generosity in art and that was Ted the social practice who was really supportive of that I think towards the the end of the my <laughs> cake time and you know and all along I was doing both at once like yeah. that was interesting to me like what is it when the same person makes the a cake with the same intention as a painting but they're, they're sort of consumed in different ways. And, yeah. and I had a, a few professors who, who, you know, one of them came in, my main advisor came in and said, <laughs> made me a, a sign to wear around my neck that said no more cake because he just wanted me to pick one. He wanted me to pick either cake or painting. Um, and I mean, I gave it a try for a week, but it, I really was curious about doing both simultaneously and what that does for 
an experience. Yeah. Oh, I love that you kept going. I love that you kept yeah, going. There's a lot of, see, a lot of failure. Yeah. No, it's, that's so cool. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. So was that the cake time? Was that your second year? Yes. Okay. So you finish. Now, what are you doing? You've got, are you leaving cake behind or did the cake come with you after you finished? Um, so all through grad school, I was working at a patisserie called Miat um, oh, yes. that was in the ferry building. And Love there it. was also a candy shop that was right by, uh, or a confissory that was right by where I lived. And so I think, you know, some of that interest in cake came from working there and, and dealing with sort of customers making decisions in front of you or asking, mm. you know, what's your favorite thing? What should I get? And you tell them and then they get something completely different. <laughs> and, you know, this idea of aesthetics and judgment, everything was so perfect. You know, everything had the bows we had to make perfect, like everything packaged. And I love that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, each chocolate bar had its own little like story. Um, and so much. Uh, so much color too. Like everything is like laid out in rows that are just so like perfect and lovely. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the owners, Caitlin Freeman was really inspired by Tebow, who is a painter and she was. Oh yes. Oh, of course. Yeah. 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 So, um, so yes, I kept working there. I kept making cake as art. So after school, you know, I think a lot of that came from trying to figure out how to make a generous painting. Like, what does that look like? Does it mean all, every single color is in there? Does it mean there's all of these layers? Does it mean you get something tangible mm. that you take home with you? And cake did that to some degree. Like, could I, could I put cake on a pedestal? and it be art and then it be eaten at the opening, you know, something yeah, yeah. that's gone. Whereas, you know, I, painting is up for constant judgment. Cake can be devoured. Right. And, and, and if it's dry, you're not really going to complain because you still got cake. Yeah. And it's still going to be gone because yeah. you're going to have to, it'll rot or something. Yeah. You know? yeah. So there was that distinction between the two things as well. Um, yeah, so, so did I, I just kept doing both. I know, um, I didn't have a studio anymore, so I rented a table at someone else's studio and just thought as long as I can make one thing every day, it doesn't have to be a painting. It can just be you know, I just need to get better at one thing. Um, so I started, my my mom cut out the horoscopes from the Saskatoon Star Phoenix for me oh that gosh. were written by Holiday Mathis. And she'd mail them and I would take excerpts and kind of adapt them to be what I needed to hear or what I thought another person needed to hear um, post-grad school. You know, like we're all uncertain, <laughs> we're all just trying to figure it out. Um, and I thought, okay, well, I'll, 
that's personally kind of like these little these little affirmations or pep talks or something yeah and then getting better at painting a straight line <laughs> and mm-hmm. so each each horoscope was paired with a stripe painting of different color so it's a little bit meditative but also doable like it was something i could do every day no matter if i was working um and i continued to work at miet and would at that point um caitlin freeman uh, married james from blue bottle Ah. coffee Mm -hmm. and they opened a location um on the rooftop of sf moma and so (laughs) i I read that in your bio and i was like okay that's going on the list like what (laughs) well you got into sf moma immediately (laughs) yeah with with my main medium yeah better yeah Yeah. (laughs) i mean i thought she was kind of out of her mind because I I didn't same with teaching you know like I didn't know how to oil paint I don't I I didn't really know pastry you know I knew the form of cake I knew how to make a colorful cake and she said that's you know she wanted someone who was connected to art and wanted to make she really wanted to make Tebow cakes because that was her, yeah, her inspiration. And then um, we had our first. I had my interview was at my house, and I just made as many cakes as I could. And I tried. I don't even know how how um, she said yes. But <laughs> we had a little six foot kitchen and um, had as many like artist monographs as we did recipe books. So it was really, we were a good team um, because she knew what it was to like run a business. She knew she was connected to the food world. And I had some connections with, you know, artists, museum, yeah, not really museum people, but like an understanding. Yeah. Um, And then Tess Wilson came on board and she is who I worked with at Miet. So we ah. continued to work together, which was really amazing. And that was um, from 2009 to 2013 when the museum closed. Wow. And so were you, were you that whole time still doing your make something every day? Um, so that year, or did you get uh, no. so focused? You were so busy with with the the rooftop. I, well, no, I kept making art for sure, but I didn't have a studio anymore. I was just making this um, work in the garage. And again, I was like, if I can do something every day. <laughs> um, so I'd set up panels and I would do a layer before I left for work and then I'd come home, mask it off, do another layer, make dinner, get ready for the next day, paint one more layer. So it ended up to be sort of like a record of time and accumulation of material that um, made me feel 
like I was making something. Um, How did you choose the colors for the day? Was it just random? um, For the most part, random, unless it was for, mm, mostly it was random. Like, I think there's also a level of uh, sort of surprising oneself. Like there has to be something in it for me of forgetting what the colors were underneath. And so when the tape all comes off, you're like, oh, wow. A surprising palette, even though I made it, but you know, kind of like a reveal. And yeah, um, that's so cool. I love the idea of, of the surprises and the happy accidents and just embracing that. I spent a lot of years not making anything in the world because I was making it in my head and it had to be perfect in my head mm-hmm. before I would even touch the paper or the canvas because I was so afraid of the accidents. Mm-hmm. And then of course, when you do it and there is an accident, then you're like, ah, it's ruined. And now it's just so much nicer just to embrace it and be like, oh, well, I didn't expect that. You know, yeah. it's, it's kind of yeah. nice when it surprises you back and it's like, all right, well, I guess that's what it is. And you know, I think that's part of getting older too. It's like, you can't control anything. Yeah. <laughs> so the yeah. sooner you kind of realize that and just like, let it be a surprise to you too. It's kind of nice. Yeah. I mean, and there's something about working in the tiny kitchen that, you know, there's a, there's a, there was a real like routine to that day, right? right. Like, I would go, I would ride my bike to the museum, take off my shoes, take off my coat, get in my chef coat, put on my kitchen clogs. And that was like probably one of the most memorable moments of the whole thing was just this like changing from one me to another me Mm. ready to sort of, you know, you turn on the oven, you make your list, you have your like mise en place, which is, you know, getting all of your ingredients in the place so that you don't have to be looking for things. Right. And like, it becomes almost like, you know, where things are without even looking. Yeah. Um, and you, you have this like satisfaction of, of crossing things off the list that are done and making your new list for the next day. And also you like, I just loved the having the the sort of platform there's no way I would have been able to talk to some of those people like fairly shy but having this sort of position of making the thing was a really um and seeing someone's reaction of something that you made right in front of you is also like a really rare um, opportunity and then to look at art in terms of what it could be to taste like and offering you know like people come far and wide to see and sit in front of a Rothko painting for some time yeah it's like a spiritual experience if you let it be yeah um and I just you know I think something we talked about a lot was just how to like how to deepen that experience Mm. and it was never about you know being coy or or like making fun of any 
it wasn't twee. It was it was trying to educate people, I guess, about artists that they might not know, but then also um, make the experience like more memorable, mm -hmm. just through something familiar like food. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. So that well, in 2013, because they closed for renovations. Yeah, yeah, like the major, yeah. Um, and so did that feel like, did you stay with Mia or did you like, did that feel like a, uh oh? Well, I was changed. technically working for Blue Bottle at that time. Okay. And um, I stayed with Blue Bottle to, we tried to make the Mondrian cake. We had make this Mondrian cake that was sort of you build it and slice it, and the painting is revealed. Yeah. We tried to make that ship shippable. Yeah. Um, and I was the only one making it. So, so that didn't go very well. And I was working in the commissary kitchen, like the kitchen in Oakland that they were making all of the blue bottle pastry. Okay. Um, and honestly, I mean, it would have been great if we could have figured it out and sometimes I feel bad that I couldn't, but um, there's also something like it didn't make sense. Mm. It only made sense to make those art cakes in the museum. Right. Right. Yeah. Like if there is a show that came down and we made a dessert based on it, we would pull the dessert because it wouldn't be. Right. It wouldn't be connected anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So there was something like there was a bit of a disjuncture with that. Yeah. And so um, I stopped working there and did my first residency, actually. Oh. In 2014 at the Vermont Studio Center. Wow. I've heard that's amazing. Yeah. How long were you there? It's well, a one month residency. Mm -hmm. They like 50 artists per month. So it's a very quick turnaround. And um, and you eat your meals together at this, you know, cafeteria. And there's a real like wellness component. Like the mm -hmm. director had introduced himself through like a meditation, and there was a little yoga. You know, it's a uh, yeah. I I didn't know what to do hmm. because you have like a month, and. Your yeah, sometimes it takes the first two weeks to figure out what you will even want to do. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought like, well, what if, what if there is a met, like if you apply that wellness component to your studio, like if you have a mantra for every day in your studio, like what does that look like? And so, yeah, I just, I, remember walking to the to the first night of dinner and it had just snowed and there was this green piece of grass poking up from the you know perfect white and I was like that's what a moment like that's so bright green <laughs> like I don't know it like occurred to me that maybe I could record my time there through the colors that I find mm. and so I got one of the things that happened because it's a quick turnaround the way that they clean all the studios is just by layering a coat of primer over every single thing. So yeah. like the walls, the tabletop, the stool. 
And I thought, oh, there's like so much history under those layers. Like all of these people have been here before and that the layers are not perfect. It's all like bumps of glue and paint. And so I thought maybe I'll just record my time like that, but every day. So that's where the Everyday of Color oh, okay. project came about. But nobody saw it because it was just in my studio until the end, until like the final piece. And um, what and was the final I, piece on? Was it on a canvas or did you paint it on the surfaces or? It was on a wall. Okay. And then a ta the tabletop and the stool. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, because each, each studio has, you know, if you're a painter, it comes with an easel yeah. and a table. And I was like, oh, I, I'm not that kind of painter. <laughs> You know, uh, so yeah, and it was That's just so a cool. nice way of of connecting to to people, to the season, the landscape, and being able to like include this wellness component. And I liked running, and I would go and kind of incorporate that as my way of collecting a color. That's the one thing I love about your work so much is the um, the having to be present. You have to be present to see that grass. You know, you didn't just walk over that grass on your way to dinner. Like, and then once you made that decision to do that project, you're not just going for a run, you're going for a run, but you're paying attention, you mm -hmm. know, and, and seeing what speaks to you and what jumps out. And I just love that. Um, Cause I, I was in the San Francisco airport when I saw your, um, your piece there. And I didn't, I knew your work, but I didn't realize that was you. And I was like rushing for a flight and I was going to be late. I was doing a connection and I was like, yeah, oh, I got to go back. So I went back <laughs> took a whole bunch of pictures of it. And I did a post. I don't know if you remember that. I, on my, I do. Yeah. And I took a picture of your little guide that showed what all the colors were for. And I just loved everything about it. I love that you'd have to be present to, to pick up on all where all those colors came from and then just the way that you organized them. Um, and it, there were some that were textures, like there were some that were metallic and then, you know, I think there was one that was like black glitter or something like that. And oh, oh, I just loved everything about it. Um, and then you missed your flight. No, I made it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I didn't get a Starbucks on my way, but I made the flight, but it was worth it. It was worth it to give up the coffee because I was like, because I didn't know who did it. Right. So I ran by it and I was like, oh my God, that was amazing. And I thought, if I don't run back and take a picture of the name of the artist, I'm going to be Googling art, San Francisco <laughs> airport, you know? So I went back and just grabbed your name. And then I was like, and then I just kept going and took all the pictures. And that was what my post was, was a lot of the photos I took mixed with whatever I could find on your site and stuff. So did that project come from the Vermont um, experience? So, um, and I didn't explain the project at all. So you tell everybody what that San Francisco airport project was. Oh yeah. So <laughs> that project, uh, it was through, uh, you, you apply, um, and it's through the San Francisco Arts Commission, which is like a very supportive, they have a wonderful art program at the airport. And from the travel that I've done, it's like, I don't know another, I don't know if you've seen it. Like, no, same thing. Portland's actually quite good too, but San Francisco is like being in an art gallery. Like I saw Janet Eshelman work there, like it's crazy. 
it's significant yeah, really it is um and so i you know and i'd fly from that same terminal to go home and visit my parents and you know there were some empty ones that didn't have art and i one time i came home and and there was like a large Claire Rojas piece that I hadn't seen before. And I thought, I know who this is. Like, this is, this is Claire. I love Claire. <laughs> and, and just thinking like, how does someone, like, wouldn't that be like a dream come true? Like where I get to sort of, yeah, be at the work on my way home. And yeah, and the um, scale of it and, and bazillions of people seeing it literally on their way through. Well, and that's just the thing too, is, is this audience and color. Yeah. Color could mean like one, you know, a red for someone can mean something depending on where they're from. Exactly. Um, yeah. And so this universal language of color, I think was some like with my application was something that I, I sort of focused on and just, this idea of um, it doesn't matter whether you're coming from or going to San Francisco, like you get an idea of what the city is, you know, yeah. based on uh, sort of some of these landmarks. And then, and then the like mirrored plexi is something I incorporate sometimes because I like when you can sort of see yourself in it or when you can see some of the activity on the tarmac, it becomes a little cinematic mm -hmm. and there's some movement and um, yeah, like for when I was doing the paint objects in grad school, I put them, I, they were always installed either on the floor or um, on mirrored pedestals, not, mm standard pedestal just because I felt like the pedestal itself or as we call them in Canada plinths yes that's right no one knows what that is here okay um, <laughs> um was kind of negating what I was trying to make which was like a paint a painting without the substrate and so right. essentially the the pedestal is just paint on yeah. so I wanted it to be something where where it was um you know making it more like yeah you could see yourself in it or mm -hmm. around it um, with, the, with the piece in the airport how did you decide because um there's the little guide that tells you um like it's there's the color of the Golden State Bridge and there's the color of like what I can't I should have had it in front of me but like the blue was there was a certain kind of sky or something like it was like or um, with the because there was like oh, different things that explained like the light blue yeah. versus the whatever yeah so some of you know like thinking about landmarks in the city golden gate bridge is like one of the like you know you're in san francisco when yeah. you see the bridge and it is known for being painted all like it's by the time they finish painting it they have to start again on the other side and that I don't I sometimes think like would that be accepted as like a proposal now yeah. to like say this bridge must be painted this yeah. <laughs> um it's called international orange 
So I definitely wanted that as a color. Then there's, um, you know, there's the Telegraph Hill parrots and that's a lime green. And there's the um, mission tortillas, like, like this fresh tortilla smell even. Yeah. So I was just trying to kind of like pick a moment from each of the kind of location, like uh, sort of quarters of. Yeah. How long did it take you to like make that list and then like wean that list down? (laughs) Um, Because you would think it'd be so many. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, you kind of, some of it was like conversations I had with people who weren't from here, some people right. who were here, like where, you know, I think when you live somewhere, you actually don't do a lot of the touristy things until some, until you have to like bring someone. Yeah, totally. And that's what uh, the present thing, you know, that's one of the little projects I often give people is to, especially during the pandemic, because I've got like walking prompts like that where you like walk your neighborhood but you like look for things that you've probably seen a million times but that you've never noticed right and then you make art based on something that you probably walked past a hundred times so during pandemic I did one where I was like okay take you know 10 steps from where you are right now and sit down for an hour and write down all the colors you see all the textures you see whatever because it's just the thing that you walk past on the way to the kitchen but there's probably an amazing palette there that you didn't even know was there because just things you love that are on your mantle or whatever that you don't pay attention to. And there's something so nice about actually having to, for a part art project to actually stop and think about those things. Yeah. And I think color, I know this color gets a bad rap sometimes, especially when it's, you know, full color. It's, it it has the potential to like tell a story and it has the potential to like as we're seeing now like be um you know like yellow and blue is like filling our feed right now and that is you know get garnering attention to something that's a big problem and I, I think color when, you know, when you see a wall of stripes, you think, oh, it's delightful. How joyful, how, you know, how lovely. And right. What I'm thinking about a lot right now is just um, how color is actually political, Mm -hmm. how it can actually, these moments of being present finding color in the place that you find yourself is necessary to um in moving forward with whatever hope we have for climate because you're you're paying attention to the way things are changing from day to day and how much space we take up in it and I think that coming to attention is like essential mm-hmm. uh, and a slowing down. And I just think there's um, there's more to it than, than I think just delight, even though that's how I maybe came to it was, was trying to offer a delightful, like engaging 
memorable experience. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's, yeah. It is. It's so powerful when you, when you think about it and break it down, which is exactly why I wanted to have you on the podcast so that we could talk about all of this. Um, So Susan O'Malley, how did you know Susan? Susan and I met, uh, I mean, I had known about her because she was a curator in at the San Jose uh, ICA. And, um, and then, and she's also an artist. I met her at one of her shows at what was then Ping Pong Gallery. But when I really got to know her was um, at Montalvo Art uh, Art Center. They have a residency program. And Christine Wong Yap and I were there for the residency program because Donna Conwell, who's another curator, local curator for um, the Lucas Artist Residency Program uh, wanted to do a show about happiness, mm. and she also she she said, "How about Susan is also involved? Where we want to incorporate the grounds in some way." And that was in 2013, early 2013. Oh, okay. So I, you know, I I didn't know her her whole life, for sure, <clears throat> but. We became quick friends. Um, the three of us worked really well together. A lot of it was like talking a lot about happiness. Christine Wanyap is like a, has read every book on positive psychology, and really, her work is like that's the crux of it. And she's, um, I find her to be endlessly fascinating like she's like an encyclopedia (laughs) and just it's a it's a big topic you know so something that was important to us was this this you know it's almost like the pursuit of happiness is impossible I mean it's you're not you can be happy like you can find joy but there's also like a a somber side to it right like if you're reaching for it, it's uncertain. It's like, mm, there's outside, not forever, you know, you have to be okay with, with, if, if you are striving towards happiness, you have to also understand that there is like another, another side to it. Mm -hmm. That's what it is to be human. Yeah. And so we, we sort of um, split the space into two, sort of. Like it was all one show, but the wall paint for the first room was a little bit like lighter and brighter and warmer. And then the other side was a little bit more somber Hmm. and so the more somber was a little bit more of like the psychological um, components of happiness. Mm-hmm. And then the, the first room was sort of a little bit more joyful. Like Susan had these pillows installed that she made that had phrases on them. Um, and one of the projects, uh, we worked on to get there's there's like a hill that goes like a trail 
that goes all, it's open to the public. Um, and it meanders up these like redwoods and then you get to this vista point. And so Susan wanted to do a healing walk and using sort of these like park signs. And I made these walking sticks that were, that in the gallery look like, you know, a minimalist kind of artwork. And then when they're signed out and they can actually be used to go up to oh. like as a walking stick. Yeah. And then there was a free, a free element component in the gallery that was like a seed confetti postcard. Um, and the first stop on the healing walk was a place to plant your wildflower seed confetti. And then the rest, she kind of, you know, something I love about Susan is just her patience and kind of wisdom around keeping it simple. Mm. Like, it's, it doesn't mean we didn't talk extensively about it and have a bunch more ideas, but like to pare it down. And so this healing walk was like really about connecting to yourself in this place and, and paying attention. So like some of these, you, you'd have to sort of stop to look up or you'd have to stop at the beautiful moment. And right. Then, and yeah, didn't one of the signs said that, right? Stop or like look yeah. up or something. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, that was like a very, a very, yeah. And now it's permanently installed in the, uh, on the trail. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And then um, all of her work was, was word-based, right? Um, like the majority of it? The majority of the later stuff. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Okay. It was, um, she had was working on the advice for my eight-year-old self and then this print public uh, project for Kala, which was, you know, a lot of, she was really good at, at like including people and mm. um, sort of make, yeah, making the general public part of the work. So right. she'd ask people like, what does healing mean to you? Um, she put like an ad on Craigslist even at one point, like what is happiness? Um, oh my gosh. And one, one guy responded um, that healing to him is purple. So like, again, the power of sort of what wow. color you and what it does. So yeah. Um, yeah. And um, I know it's a hard, it's a hard subject because um, I'm sure a lot of people listening know that Susan passed away much sooner than she should have. Um, what year was that that she died? Uh, it was February 25th, 2015. Okay. So seven, we just celebrated her, the seven, not celebrated, but yeah, uh, so it was seven years ago. Oh. Um, it was just so sad because I, I was doing books with Chronicle at the time and that's who the, the had published the um, advice to my 80 year old self. And so they had sent me a, um, a, a pre-release to do like a, you know, to do a post about or whatever. Um, and then she died. And I just was like, what? it was so surreal. Like this, and the book wasn't done yet. And like, I think I just got the galleys, like I got a PDF or something of it. And then she passed away and she was pregnant with twins mm -hmm. and um, the twins didn't survive. And I just, I could not stop thinking about 
her and her husband and like the whole like the what and the why and then her work being like her work was so wise and so positive and I thought why you know but then I think well maybe she did what she was maybe she had done what she was here to do I I don't like it was just it's just such a tragedy it was just so sad um and then when I saw this work that you've just done now um at SF MoMA not in the baker not in the cafe <laughs> but this amazing piece combining your color practice and your layers with Susan's words I just thought was so powerful and did you time that so that it would be with the anniversary um, I mean, that's where, you know, there's parts of me that think like, even though Susan's gone, she's sort of not really. Yeah. Sometimes because yeah. <laughs> there are these things that happen that just feel like, um, I mean, who knows what happens? Yeah. She's still so, engaging the community. She's still like, yeah, I, mean, I have an idea. <laughs> still, so she, yeah, yeah. Or, or maybe we have to believe that in order to um, get through life. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know? that's exactly what I mean. My dad passed away very suddenly in 2018, and I have all sorts of things I tell myself, whether they're true or not. But I have to tell myself mm -hmm. because otherwise, there, it makes no sense, you know. Yeah. So the, I mean, the work um, that was in the show one day at a time, just closed on Sunday, um, which is like just oddly. Closed. So they just, now it's just a white wall again? It, well, the wall is still there until the 13th, but okay. the artwork in, at one, in one day at a time oh, okay. uh, came down, which is honestly, um, surprise maybe not surprised it surprised me that it felt like almost like another loss yeah when something is over and you don't really realize what it is until it is over so you have mm, to yeah. ride the wave but like did you make the most of it did you do the right you know like there's all of these things and then there and then you just have to like let it go, move on. But the work that was in that one day at a time, uh, Christian Frock was a friend of Susan's and, and a collector and a writer, curator. She um, gave a few ephemeral pieces to the museum as a gift of Susan's. Uh -huh. And um, so I think the show, the impetus for the show was to, to show those. Um, and it was sort of, during the pandemic that they, I think they were trying to use artworks from the collection, more like sort of locally driven. And um, in 2015, I had done the second version of Everyday of Color okay. at Irving Street Project, oh. which is a women, like uh, it was run by Kelly Inouye, who wanted a space that I guess it was mostly women artists could experiment. Like oh, okay. it wasn't about showing something that was already done. It was about making something in that space. And it was a storefront and her studio was in the back. So it was a storefront in the outer sunset. And so anyone walking by could see. And I thought maybe this would be a good chance to 
try everyday of color again, but having it be sort of a performative, mm -hmm. uh, like engaging thing. And then I could collect the colors from the outer sunset, which was a place I went to like just on treat days, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, I got a day off. And now it was sort of part of my everyday again. And I was supposed to start on March 1st, but Susan passed away on the 25th and we were heartbroken uh, and shocked. And I didn't know, you, you just, you don't know what, I mean, Susan and I had collab collaborated sort of ever since um, the Happiness Is show. We did mm -hmm. a show at Yerba Buena Center and just like really, I don't know, sometimes I wonder um, how I got so lucky to know her so well, so fast. Mm -hmm. But I think she, you know, she was like that. She just included people. She collaborated with a lot of people and I think connected with a lot of people that she never even met through her work. Um, so I thought, okay, well, we had to postpone the residency by a week. I had to, you know, did the memorial and um and then i thought maybe this can be a place where this in a way is a tribute a tribute to her mm -hmm. and the neighborhood but it also i guess after it was done i realized like what a process a group that was like going to church or like a, yeah. we called it the grief cave so it was a place where friends and family of Susan's could come and in a way I I liked being in one I liked being expected to be somewhere I liked going there I liked the the routine of of it in terms of like and just this like repetitive action of painting a wall uh, was uh, the way I think I got through it. And the first color was hot pink for Susan. Mm. And somehow hot pink like became like our sign off or something. I, I still don't really know why hot pink was this sort of stand in for, um, for Susan, but it was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, we had sort of like an inside joke of, seeing something weird and hopping yeah. and <laughs> so hopping for Susan was the first color it was left up for the first week um, did you write that was did you write the words or was it just the color just the, just color. the color and then I just on the wall with pencil I just like took a note hopping. Oh, okay um and so it was really just the color yeah that emanated from the space and then I returned um after that week and just started walking and looking and collecting and mixing the paint and painting and um I there was you know there was some confusion I think in terms of like what this was I overheard like as I was locking the door one day someone said if only they could just figure out what to paint the walls then they could open you know <laughs> oh my god Boy, these guys really can't make a decision. They are changing that wall color every day. <laughs> yeah. So there are some, you know, uh, interesting sort of engagements with, with the neighborhood for sure. And um, yeah, it was just a, a really 
um, nourishing scenario when yeah. art can I didn't know about that one but when I saw um, um, the piece that just closed I I thought how I don't know if I wrote this in the questions that I asked you but like with my dad again like I there's some he was a big runner and I run not very fast but he he had done uh, 27 marathons and like uh I can't remember how many half marathons, close to a hundred half marathons. Um, and I've done, I think 12, 12, just half marathons and one full, but running is my connection to my dad. Right. And, but it's this weird combination of cathartic because I feel like he's, you know, I often chat with him while I'm running, but also painful because I'm also really good at just pushing it out of my mind and pretending he's not gone. You know, and when you actually have to think about the fact that he's, you know, then I think about all the things that I'm missing. And so when I was watching, you know, on Instagram, sort of following along you doing that project and writing out Susan's words and then painting over in a color and the next day writing out her words again and then painting over, I thought, I wonder if you are on a roller coaster of emotion. <laughs> like, did it feel like cathartic and grief or did it just feel good or did it like what how did you feel while you were doing it well there's a tiny bit more to that story because those 50 layers that were at Irving Street were were going to be painted over and so um you know it was a public program even and we called it fade to white I brought cake I thought this is like this is perfect it's like when cake and painting are doing the same like yeah. same thing finally like the cake will be eaten and the paint layers will be painted over in white and everyone I got everyone like a roller and everyone was going to do it together and then I went to go take the tape off of the ceiling and all of these 50 layers of paint with some coercion um peeled off and so those layers are framed mm. in and and we're in the show in the room that you go through to see Susan's work. Oh my gosh, amazing. And so I, when we, the, the museum has those pieces in the collection, thank goodness, because otherwise I would have to store them. Um, <laughs> I, I said to Janet, who was the curator, Janet Bishop, that I had had this dream that I had repainted the colors but backwards because the one color that didn't peel off because for some reason was the hot pink for Susan so when all of the layers came off there was this strip of hot pink that was left on the walls and I wanted to kind of go back in time and give her, her that the expanse because otherwise the expanse was this the last color which was the right. color. so she made my dreams come true and and um so I've never revisited a palette before in that way it didn't make sense to connect them to the outer sunset even though that's where they came from and we had just been through like an unprecedented yeah. Universal. Moment. Yeah. Yeah. Moment in history for sure. And 
I had history at the, at the place and I think it just felt like sort of a, a good moment. Susan, in preparation for the Happinesses show, had written this list of um, that was called Getting Better Every Day. Mm. And I had that up in the studio in the same, you know, same spot and read it sort of, but I read it differently then and thought like, I need to apply these, like I mm. need to follow these. And they were written in 2012, 2013. And so there were some that were sort of out of date, like, you know, she's like, don't look at Facebook. And I was like, well, oh, yeah. not a lot of people look at Facebook. Like, right, what, right. If need, what, what would this list look like if she wrote it now right. for this other time, like acknowledging this time? And so, and that list was made by her collecting from other artists, from gurus, from, you know, her own mantras and that kind of thing. So it was a little bit of like a collection of all of these. And so I thought, well, maybe, maybe I'll amend that for now to acknowledge like what collectively we need to do. Yeah. <laughs> and also acknowledging some of the other artists who are on view right now so that it got mm. give, gave us like a sense of timing like yes, yeah. the museum sort of yeah so um in some there there was a lot of sort of presence absence thing happening with the repainting of the susan's gone i would wear and yet she's there because her work is there i would put on my jumpsuit in a way that like reflected the the chef coat um and then i would get out of it and hang it on the wall so i was there then not there then there's the words that appear and then they get covered and i think um yeah a lot of it was just i had not planned on writing the words i didn't know what the legend was going to be oh. you know i wasn't sure what what how i was going to connect the colors to now um it just happened that like i brought the i brought the printout of her list and had it like on the cart and i just did i just <laughs> did it one day and then and wow i didn't know if it was okay you know like i didn't know if i was allowed but i did it anyway and there was something like I was doing it while the museum was closed, but we had like a time lapse going. And I thought, you know, if maybe no one needs to see this, maybe, but it also felt like if if text was gonna go on in the same spot every time there would be then this like, perhaps this different kind of imperfect accumulation of paint and- Yeah, like this ghost of all the words that yeah. are, under, are under there, so beautiful. Oh my gosh. I, I just, I thought it was so emotional and, and, um, cause I, I didn't know her at all, but I, I've, I always thought of her so much, um, after all of that happened, cause I was sort of, you know, a couple of degrees away, um, mm -hmm. just by dealing with Chronicle at the time. And, um, when I saw that, I just thought how beautiful it was and what a good job you did. And, 
Um, I'm sure she was right there. She was probably the one that was like, hey, put my text up there. <laughs> I think she was right there with you. Yeah. I mean, amazing. I do feel like you just have to be uh, open to uh, rolling with it. I think, Yeah. Um, you know, I got lucky to, I got lucky with Irving Street that I had that, that I had th that room to paint and I got lucky with the fact that the installation could be shown in entirety with Susan's work mm -hmm. for the first time and that I had another wall to go to. I mean, it was just every, everything was happening. Um, yeah, so it was happening and this was during, yeah, closed hours too. So it was like a really nice, a familiar space, but also solitary and was it, did it feel a little bit meditative? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, once I, <laughs> once I got started. Yeah. 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 Um, and so speaking of more walls, is there anything like, what are you, have you got anything underway right now or are you in between things? Are you going off to a residency? What's, what's happening? Um, I, uh, am teaching and I, I have a, bunch, well, a bunch, I have a few um, public projects that I'm working on. Um, there, San Francisco or where? Yes, um, mm -hmm. there's a glass piece I'm working with, uh, Dorothy Lenahan Architectural Glass, wow. and that is for uh, an apartment uh, or like a living four story living. Wow, cool. Area. Yeah, that has been a really interesting to sort of apply this your your work to another medium that is yeah. different, different works differently. Yeah. Um and you know, in in San Francisco, I I think it's it Bay Area, but might just be San Francisco, with any new development, one percent of the budget goes to has to go to art. Wow. Yeah. So there have been a lot more opportunities for working. I mean, some of them are apartment buildings, some of them are restaurants. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I have a, a project with them. And then uh, Mercy Housing is, uh, uh, is building a uh, it's like a residential for seniors and then a, a twin building for um, people in recovery. Oh, so wow. there's like a sort of passageway in between both of those buildings that um, will have like a seating component. Um, and I, I don't, you know, <laughs> I have like a hundred books I want to read yeah. and I'm, you know, trying to draw a little bit more for some illustration stuff. And, and then, I mean, I would love to do another like everyday of color. I, I did everyday of color at the Kenderdine at the university of Saskatchewan oh. in 2016. And, um, I really want to do it at the Remy modern awesome um but that is not that's me just like saying it out loud for the first time there that's yep and nobody <laughs> else just me I, there's so much power in saying something out loud 
you know, it, I just it, need it, another wall. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I just need another wall. I also, I think I might call the podcast one more wall. Yeah. Yeah. And then one more after that and one more after that. Um, well, I'm so, I'm going to ask you the not so speedy speed round questions in a okay. second, but I, I, I'm just so happy to actually meet you um, because I have seen your work in so many places. Um, like I was at the Facebook um, uh, Menlo Park. Um, I saw your work there. Like I've oh. seen your work so many times in so many weird places where I'm like, that looks like her. And then I go up and see the name and I'm like, yep. And, but we've never ever met. And so um, when I saw that you were doing this project at SFMOMA, I just was like following a lot. I just loved it so much. And I was like, I wonder if she's too big of a deal to like come on my podcast. But never. And I, there's the, that, that doesn't, that doesn't apply. <laughs> I always think that of everybody I have on the podcast and they're always just like people weird. Right. Who knew? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm so happy. So that the next time I see an amazing wall and I'm like, oh, could that be? And I run up and take a picture. It is actually your work. And now I know all the behind the scenes, which is even more exciting. I mean, I feel the same about you. It really, it's like you turned this into something that, um, you know, you turned onions into honey. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm so, I'm so glad for me because man, it was hard wanting to be creative and not being creative. That sucked. Like I was that kid giving that guy the fork and the little drawing of somebody eating and then to not make for 15 years was horrible. But don't you think you, you, uh, whatever you were doing was from an artistic perspective? Um, Yes. But I think I was also hiding out a little bit. Yeah. You know, I think I was like, because uh, I became a graphic designer and then my family was like, why aren't you making art? And I was like, I am being creative every single day. Thank you very much. But like, I was a little too defensive because mm -hmm. I think I knew they were right. And then when I started Jealous Curator and I was getting over a lot of my art school <laughs> trauma, I was like, oh, these are just people. Like, they're not scary. And, oh my gosh, I could go to a gallery and not feel intimidated. And, um, but I was still not ready to dip my toe back into actually making artwork. And speaking of dipping your toes, actually yesterday, I stepped in a pile of resin. So I, my toes are literally back in it. I accidentally did there that. There you go. Yeah, but I was like, wow, this is, I'm a real artist because now I've got resin between my toes and I need to go clean this off immediately. <laughs> On your bare feet, you know. Well, because I was wearing first, I was wearing shoes, and then they were getting kind of sticky and whatever. So then I switched to flip flops, and then those were sticking to the floor because I had it. I'm letting it pour over the edge, and then I was like, okay, well, I'm just gonna take these off. Like, what was the thinking there? And then I didn't realize that off one side, a whole bunch had poured on into like a little puddle on the tarp, and I just like full on foot. I, was like, oh. I don't know. I think that embrace the haphazard spiller mistake and you can now <laughs> use that as a actual artwork. Or yeah, that's right. Look out art um, history textbooks. There's Danielle Chris's foot embedded I just, in resin. I, I, it, I keep thinking about that professor who said you should never paint again. Like it, or like <laughs> my professor who sa said no more cake, like, <gasps> If he had said it, like, I think you, you should think about 
other ways of not painting, you know, like of painting, yes. but not, not painting. Yeah. Like, have you ever thought of collage? Have you ever thought like, maybe you should explore sculpture because all of your work is really sculptural. No, but, he just basically said, you'll never be an artist. You should quit. Oh, he, yeah. So that's what his, he didn't mean paint. He just meant he quit. Um, is he still alive? Oh yes. He's still teaching. I feel like you should interview him. <laughs> I know. Seriously. Like, I wonder what he, if he remembers that one, and yeah. if he met, if, if he meant what he said. Right. Or if I, yeah. And, and just if for I, And if I heard it properly. Yeah. And also for him to know, like, that had a huge impact on you. And, and yet it's like your desire to keep making, like, you can't use the word Trump anymore, but like, like, um, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, it's kind of my origin story, right? Like I wouldn't have started Jell's Curator. It wouldn't have been called Jell's Curator. I wouldn't have, you know, when I started having all these aha moments, like when I wrote Creative Block and stuff, I thought I was the only one that got blocked. I thought that little voice in my head, that inner critic thing was just me. I did not know. I honestly did not know that was just like a human thing. Yeah. And that everybody, even not artists, but artists who I admire, who are famous, who would also have that little voice that says, oh, this is dumb, but they keep going. I quit. You know, I didn't know any of that stuff. And so I do credit him for that. Um, he's still making art. And I'm not jealous of it. Uh, so um, that, that part makes me happy. Um, and I've joked that I was going to dedicate a book to him because if it weren't for him, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. But I also don't want to give him that credit. But yeah, an interview would be good. I feel like that would be therapy. I don't know yeah, if I'm ready for that yet. Look at him. But, you know, and I wonder if something like that happened to him. Yeah, honestly. I don't know. Like, I know that he did it too. I've told this story in the podcast before, but... I was doing a talk when Creative Block came out. I was 2014 or something. And I did a talk in Victoria. Um, and I'd done this talk all over the place, like in LA and New York and whatever. And I never name him, and, but I tell this story because it's my origin story. And so I'm telling the story in Victoria and there's about 80 people at this thing. And I'm signing books afterwards. And this guy came up and said, we're going to call the teacher Jim. He came up and he goes, was it Jim? And I was like, like the hair on my arm stood up. I was like, what? Cause I'd never been called out, but here I was at the scene of the crime. And I said, uh, yep. And he said, I was in your class. I remember that happening. And I was like, oh my God. And he said, he told me the same thing too, that I couldn't be an artist. He said, so I became an architect. So we're talking about this. And while we're talking, another woman came up and said, oh, sorry to interrupt. Um, was it Jim? And we were like, yep and she said yeah he told me she said I was a year behind you guys and he told me I couldn't be an artist either so she said I became a landscape designer um and then another woman came up um and she was doing her BFA then she was a graphic designer who had gone back in her 40s to do it get her BFA and she said was it Jim and we were all like yeah but and she said um I find that so hard to believe he's the most one of the most supportive professors at the whole school so I think he aged and realized like, and stopped doing that. 
she said he's really good at the you know the constructive criticism and well I see that you're doing this but have you ever thought about like exactly what you said so he is doing that now which is great um but he broke a lot of us in the mid 90s <laughs> if that is any indication that two people came up to me within a five minute window and knew exactly who I was talking about and also both quit yeah but are yeah it's interesting like I also think it was just like the time like he was just a cowboy like he was you know and he was just saying things he shouldn't have said like he should have just been an artist he, had, he shouldn't have been a teacher it sounds yeah. like he's grown into it and he's become a good teacher but when we got him he was not a good teacher I just can't imagine teaching and telling someone that I know but you know, I, I've told the story so many times on here and I've had so, so many funny stories, like the, the sign with the no more cake. Um, yeah. Lisa Golightly told me that um, in her painting class, the teacher would take the paintings off the wall in the crit and throw them in the middle of the room and yell bonfire, that they should all just be set on fire. <laughs> so I certainly, but after I experienced that, I mean, and it was, it was, it was, the straw that broke the camel's back, right? It wasn't just like that one thing that broke me. It was like yeah. years of him saying stuff that like, and then I finally was just like, okay, I, I'm done. Um, but again, I, in that, you know, when you're 19, 20, whatever, you're not, I wasn't paying attention to what anybody else was going through. So 15 years later, I didn't realize that people were having paintings torn off the wall and thrown on a pile and saying bonfire. So once I started Jealous Curator and started interviewing people for books and I started the podcast, and I started hearing all these stories, it almost made me feel like I was part of a club that I survived, you know, because it's like, oh, this is pretty common, especially like in the 80s and 90s. Like, that's how crits were done in a lot of cases, where now when we're the age of the professors, we don't teach like that. Like, you would never put a sign around someone's neck saying no more cake. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I don't know. It's just, it's just interesting. But uh I mean, it is what it is at this stage, but yeah, maybe, maybe I'll talk to my therapist about how I would approach <laughs> interviewing him. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of curious about, about that. Yeah. Be a whole other talk. That feels like a, that feels like a pretty good challenge. I'll put that on my list of put up my big girl pants and maybe do that one day. And I'll let you know if I actually do it. <laughs> Um, I, I can be back up. Okay. Thank you. I might need it. Um, and maybe a, a shot of tequila beforehand. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm going to ask you the not so speedy speed round. They're all color related questions. Okay. okay. Color of your first car. It was my, uh, grandmother's Oldsmobile Omega and 1982. Uh, the interior was a maroon velour and the exterior was silver and there was a bumper sticker I put on it called Road Sister. <laughs> so. Wow. Did the car have it? Did you name it? It was called Road, the Road Sister. After Road yeah. Sister. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Okay. Um, color of your prom dress, your grad dress. Um. I bet it was maroon as well. <laughs> no, it was um, copper like oh uh, iridescent was, no it was more like a little glittery and when I say glitter copper it sounds cheesy but it was actually like kind of a pretty dress 
I love it. Yeah. Um, mine was maroon. It was the interior of the road system. It was my car. <laughs> I my, my dress. Um, okay. Color of your dream house. Like if you could, it, you know, like I love all the houses in San Francisco, how they're painted all the beautiful colors. Um, what color would you paint a house? Maybe you have painted a house a color, but what would you paint a house if you could? I get asked a lot um, about what color people should paint their homes uh, <laughs> when <laughs> a lot. And I often will say like whatever the last sort of sunset photo I took, the like in between color. So often it's like super dusty rose or like a sort of almost salmon or like that, that like between blue and purplish gray. Um, And then everyone is like, actually, we're just going to, paint our house the same color it was <laughs> you know so why have, did you ask me <laughs> it is a really hard it's it's hard I mean and same with the happiness is I remember how similar those co- two colors of the two rooms were and yet how much we deliberated over the feeling of each one yeah. it's really tough I um I tend to like a white like sort of a really neutral um but a, a white that changes to pink sort of, you know, like mm-hmm. that kind mm-hmm. of like a really, really light pink or really, uh, my room at my old house was, was blue, uh, oh. like sky blue. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I've painted the entire inside of our house white. Every room is white so that the art is the color. So then I can change out whatever art and then it kind of changes the mood of the room. But my son is very, thinks that's very lame. Yeah, and the room you're in is black. Oh, this, yeah, there's a little uh, chalkboard wall behind me that's oh, black, but then everything else is white. Yeah. And my son said it's lame. His room is th- three different shades of green. So, yeah. <laughs> I said, well, when you have a house, you can paint it whatever color you want. Yeah. Um, okay. And then, final question your favorite color as of today, because I bet it will change tomorrow. But what what is your favorite color is that a really hard question to ask you yes yeah <laughs> that's what I figured she's gonna be stumped that's why I said as of today I know because usually my answer for what my favorite color is is like it depends on the day yeah um I think right now like California poppies are popping up oh yeah and that is always just like such a cheerful color um and it just pops yeah so I think um I think that's what I will say for today okay I'll check in with you again tomorrow we'll okay see what's happening. <laughs> thank you so much for doing this with me it was so much fun so good to know you and to hear your stories and um hopefully my dream would be to one day have you make a cake that we eat together um I w- would make a cake for you no one else (laughs) (laughs) well if i ever get to leave canada again um it seems like things are opening up and i actually might be able to travel this year so san francisco is one of my favorite places to go so if i get there we will have cake together you don't have to bake it we'll go find cake somewhere um that would be a dream okay Okay. deal all right take care and i will um keep an eye on your instagram and see what's going on i will do that. Okay. (laughs) Thanks, Leah. Thank you.
Isn't she amazing? There is so much thoughtfulness behind everything she does. I could have talked to her for two more hours. Also, I really want to try a Leah Rosenberg cake someday. I'll be the one wearing a sign saying, more cake. Oh boy. <sighs> Teachers. Anyway, um, oh, and I was going to say, if anybody out there has a big wall for her, reach out because I'm pretty sure she will do something fabulous with it. Everything Leah and I talked about is over on my site right now. The jealouscurator.com slash blog is where you can find the post. So pop over and take a look if you're not there already. Thank you so much to Leah for taking so much time to talk to me. Thanks to Create Magazine for supporting yet another episode. And huge thanks to you for listening. I will be back in two weeks with a brand new episode of Art for Your Ear. See you then. Thank you.